Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball on 15 is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. Wednesday's Brewers-Tigers game featured starters moving in opposite directions and a former Tigers ace is on the mend. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three co-brews yet. It worked great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball 15 for Thursday, September 10th. I'm Al Melkier, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper. In DVR, I realize that this is Thursday, Thursday night. We've got uh, the beginning of the NFL season. But on Wednesday, we had a couple of baseball games with football scores. Uh, in fact, <laughs> one is still incredibly in progress uh, as we are recording this uh, the Braves or the Falcons, take your pick, running up the score on the uh, Marlins slash Dolphins. And uh, earlier on Wednesday, we had the uh, the Brewers slash Packers uh, shutting out the uh, Tigers slash Lions, 19 nothing. We're going to delve into that game a little bit because there's several interesting angles in that one. Uh, but before we do get to that, um, some, some big and maybe unexpected news from Jake Kaplan here at The Athletic. Uh, he reported on Wednesday that Justin Verlander was set to throw a 50 to 55 pitch bullpen session. And that, I mean, there's really no news beyond that, but the inference is that if he did make that uh, bullpen session uh, with that many pitches, without incident, without a setback, seems like, first of all, he could be activated sooner maybe than we expected and maybe able to pitch deeper into a game than we would have expected. Yeah, I guess if you, you know, tack on another 15 pitches or so, maybe he gets a, a shot at going 70 in his first start back if they clear him to do that sometime early next week. So a lot of ifs, a lot of contingencies, a lot of conditions. But if it uh, all plays out, I mean, Justin Verlander probably has been dropped in a decent number of leagues because of the expected duration of his absence. And it leaves us with a really difficult decision to make. Over the weekend, when Fab rolls around again, if you still have some Fab left, do you throw it at Verlander, hoping to get a couple of starts down the stretch? I, you know, I don't. If he's available, I, I think you got to. And the other question is, um, if you've already got him, I have been stashing him in one league just on the chance that maybe we'd have this type of scenario. Um, do you do you do a uh, you know wait and see approach with Verlander if there's enough time to do so? If he made a start, say next week. Do you, you know, wait and see um, with the hope that you use them the following week? 
Yeah, I guess you look at the matchups and sort of base it off that. The first series of the week is a home series with Texas. The second series, which would begin Friday the 18th, is a home series against Arizona. So matchup-wise, it's not a tough matchup in either case. I just wonder if you can get deep enough into that start going up to or near 70 pitches to be eligible for a win. I would lean toward using him. I think he's elite so just being elite even having those restrictions you might get lucky you might be able to get five plus innings and squeak out a win aside from getting strikeouts and good ratios for those innings all right well makes sense to me and if we think back to how justin verlander got to be an astro tigers traded him and part of the uh return going back the other way was daz cameron well daz cameron on wednesday made his major league and his tigers debut uh, he was in that um, blowout shutout against the Brewers. So he had a lot of company in going hitless against the Brewers in that game. In fact, there was only one player on the Tigers who managed to get a hit, and that was Willie Castro, and he uh, went two for three. But um, So not a great debut for Cameron, but um, he's got that that power-speed combo. He'd hit just 217 at AAA Toledo in 2019. He's had an up-and-down minor league career, but at his best, he's really been... Uh, an across-the-board contributor. So is that potential enough to make him worth picking up in, in some mixed leagues? I think so. It's probably going to be 15 teams and deeper. I mean, I think in AL-only leagues especially, he makes a lot of sense because I don't think the Tigers would call him up with the injuries they're dealing with in the outfield and not play him nearly every day. Uh, if you look back at the minor league track record, it is a little bit inconsistent, really disappointing uh, run at AAA started late in 2018 and spent all of 2019 at Toledo had an 84 WRC plus so below average player in a very offensive friendly environment because of the use of the very live major league ball a year ago but had that power speed combo that you mentioned the 13 homers 17 steals uh, draws a lot of walks so certainly better OBP wise than batting average wise and I know there were some other issues at Toledo uh, where he was benched for a stretch by his manager. The ins and outs of that are still a little bit fuzzy to me, but the bottom line is I think he's a good enough defender to stay in the lineup every day long-term. He was young for the level when he was an above-average hitter at high A and at double A, and of course, you know, Major League Bloodlines with his dad, Mike Cameron, having such a good career in the big leagues too. I, I think you can look at the overall body of work and come away liking more things than you dislike in this profile and kind of looking at him and saying, hey, maybe he's actually a better fantasy player than he is a real-life player. Yeah, and uh, up until right now, I never realized that um, Daz Cameron and Mike Cameron have something in common because Mike Cameron, if my memory is right on this, was part of uh, the Ken Griffey deal and uh, going to to the Reds. Yeah. So part part of uh, Blockbuster as well. Uh, just a couple other notes on Cameron. Uh, worth noting that Kristen Stewart was optioned by the Tigers, so there's certainly room for him to play regularly. Uh, also, um, Cameron spent a month in quarantine uh, this summer uh, due to COVID-19 and also developed pneumonia, but uh, would seem to be past that, which uh, is obviously great news uh, for Daz Cameron. Uh, also in that uh, Tigers-Brewers game, a couple of notable pitching performances, one really great, one really not great. Uh, Corbett Burns uh, just building his resume, seven scoreless innings, just one hit allowed, no walks, 11 strikeouts. Uh, meanwhile, Matthew Boyd only lasted three innings, seven runs on eight hit, hits, and four walks with only two strikeouts. So starting with Burns, he's not very widely available, but um, where he is available, 
uh, I would assume he needs to be picked up. Would you agree with that? I, at this point, he should be 100% owned. I mean, even in an eight-team mixed league, the strikeout-to-walk ratio has been outstanding. 53 Ks entering this start. He's got 64 now and 45 in the third innings. Only one home run allowed in the season. Think back to last season. Corbin Burns had a lot of trouble with his fastball. It was too straight, and it was often too much in the zone. Hitters just punished that pitch like crazy a year ago. Uh, he's made some adjustments. He's throwing a cutter a lot now, so he's getting that late movement, locating everything really well. Just has a complete arsenal and is really kind of challenging Brandon Woodruff for the ace designation in this Brewer staff. I think long-term, the Brewers are in a really nice spot with those two guys atop the rotation. Yeah, well, and then on the other end, uh, Matthew Boyd, uh, just a disastrous outing for him. He had been uh, performing better in his most recent starts, his last three starts before this one. But you know who, after all this, still believes in Matthew Boyd? Uh, you, Nick Pollock, and Alex Fast. <laughs> I, I'm actually, yeah, okay, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll include myself. And I figured, you know, yeah, you would uh, mention the, the guys over a pitcher list, but also, Sierra seems to believe in Matthew Boyd coming into the start. And I don't have the up-to-date Sierra, so it's obviously going to be a lot higher. But uh, Boyd coming into the start already had a 6.64 ERA, but his Sierra was 3.92. And his XFIP was actually just a little bit over 4. So XFIP was sort of a believer, too. Uh, I think that XFIP is up to like 450 uh, or in that neighborhood. So the Sierra is certainly north of 4 at this point. But when you compare that to the ERA now being over 7, that's a pretty big discrepancy. So, uh, you know, I had a, a conversation with Michael Beller on the show earlier this week talking about Zach Gallen and how his uh, ERA estimators were, you know, certainly more modest than his ERA. Um, and the estimators are still good, just not as good as the ERA. And his response was, you know, he'll he'll trust the ERA in this case. How do you feel about this with, with Boyd? I mean, do you think he's really this bad or are you going to join me and Nick and Alex and, and Sierra and maybe trying to buy low on Matt Boyd where it's possible. I could see some buy low appeal going into next season. He's a tinkerer. He's one of those guys who's always trying to refine the back of that arsenal. And you know, if he picks up a little bit of velo going into next season, there could be some bounce back appeal. I have to imagine the price will be much lower than it was in 2020 drafts. But we are talking about a guy who's got a career 509 ERA and 134 whip in the big leagues over 127 starts. So we're almost looking at 700 career innings where there have been strikeouts and there have been bad ratios. And I know the arsenals are a bit different. They do throw at the same hand, but this is very Robbie Ray-esque where we keep looking at him and expecting him to be something more than he really is. So even if you believe that he can be better than he's been in 2020, which I think most reasonable people do, I think the ceiling is probably not as high as we thought it was coming out of maybe the first half of last season. Yeah, and I you know, I think that makes sense to, to sort of split the difference there. DVR, uh, we need to, uh, unfortunately, as we do pretty much every show, round up uh, some of the injury news. So we'll start with Cattell Marte, who is placed on the injured list by the Diamondbacks with wrist inflammation. There's no timetable there. It's the sort of injury that maybe could keep Marte out for a while. And there's, as we know, not much season left. So there's a number of candidates who could stand to gain some playing time. Josh Rojas actually has been playing pretty regularly, but this probably solidifies playing time for him. Tim Locastro has been playing a little bit more. Dalton Varsho. Uh, among those three, do you see anybody who gets a significant boost in their fantasy value? 
I think it's Rojas. I mean, I think he was already playing a bit more, as you said. Varsha was playing pretty much every day since the trade deadline, so I think he's really safe at this point. But this is an opportunity for Josh Rojas. He started against a lefty, Clayton Kershaw, on Wednesday night, so that's a new challenge for him as well as a guy that was kind of stuck more on the big side of platoon in previous opportunities at the big league level. Lo Castro is kind of interesting, too, because he's getting chances to lead off. And this Arizona lineup is one you could absolutely stream against down the stretch. If you haven't been doing it already, you should start doing it as soon as possible. Uh, but the leadoff spot is nice. It boosts up that run score potential, get a few extra plate appearances over the last few weeks of the season. And Tim LoCastro brings legit speed and stolen base potential to the table, which could you know break some ties or gain you a lot of standings points very quickly in leagues where he's out there. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about uh, LoCastro's appeal is he doesn't have to play every day to help you out. Uh, if he plays even 50% of the time, he can help you in that steals category for sure. Uh, I'm just taking a quick look here. Uh, it looks like the Braves and Marlins are still at 29-9, to but uh, still with an inning left to go there. Um, but part of the Braves lineup includes uh, Ozzy Albies. He is, uh, as of right now, three for six, but that could change. Uh, he's already homered, so his first game back off the IL going well, as it is for you know pretty much all of his teammates. And some other injury news, uh, Tommy Pham and Justin Turner are very close to returning. Turner uh, could be this weekend. For Pham, it uh, could be so, uh, early, as soon as early next week. So uh, is there an impact there in terms of the... Padres lineup because they've really been mixing it match mixing and matching at the DH spot but I suppose we could be a little bit worried about Jerks and Profar. Yeah, because Jake Cronenworth's been outperforming him. I mean, as it stands right now though, they just lost Eric Hosmer, so Mitch Moreland moves from DH to first base. Maybe with all that trickle down, they can find a way to keep Profar in the mix a bit more often. Abraham Almonte started as the DH on Wednesday. So I guess Almonte definitely gets bumped out of playing time, but Profar certainly on notice. He was at the bottom of the order for that matchup against Colorado on Wednesday night. Yeah, so if anybody's going to lose playing time, it would, that's a regular. Uh, he would seem to be the, the biggest candidate. And um, maybe a bit of a jinx on our part, because we just talked about Rowdy Telez on a recent episode and how he was radically uh, under-owned in fantasy. And now it looks like he's probably going to miss the rest of the season. He had a right knee issue, had an MRI that turned up a strain. And um, so, yeah, he he may not be back. In fact, it seems like that's very likely that Telez will not be back. So uh, Joe Panic got the start and actually has gotten a few starts at third base uh, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. DHing um, and um, Travis Shaw moving over to first base. So Panic looks like he's having kind of a Joe Panic kind of season, but if you dig a level deeper, his plate discipline's a lot better than it's been in the past. He is striking out more, but he's also got a little bit of power that's just not really showing up in the uh, in the stat line. A thirty-seven point three percent hard hit rate. Um, so where's the appeal here? I wonder if he's trying some like Eric Sogard sort of adjustments, where he's trying to lift the ball a little more often, pull the ball when he can to get to. A little bit of home run power, but still the average exit velocity for Joe Panic isn't very good, even though the hard hit rate is up a little bit. I don't think he fits outside of mono leagues for now. I think this is more of a, a watch list sort of situation just to see if he's able to unlock something else uh, with that batted ball profile. Well, nothing else uh, does seem like he's going to gain in some playing time. So in mono leagues, that's obviously critically important. Uh, so something to note there. 
Uh, we won't, don't really have time to dig into it, but uh, Davy Garcia and Dane Dunning, uh, good starts for them on Wednesday. So just uh, strengthening their position and their their respective rotations. Uh, Isan Diaz was added to the Marlins 40-man roster, but then he was optioned. There's no timetable specified for his return. Uh, but on that note, DVR, um, our featured read today is from Ken Rosenthal, and he talked to four of the players who did opt out but did not return like Diaz did. So uh, check that out if you, you want a little bit more perspective on why uh, some players made that choice and, and what that that uh, experience has been like for them. Players who opted out find themselves in unfamiliar role as spectator by Ken Rosenthal. Check that out on The Athletic. And that's going to be it for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're listening to this podcast, that allows you to leave a rating and a review. We always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, uh, we will be right back here on Friday. <laughs>